0: Come on. How we doing tonight? Y'all good? Powerful time of worship. Can we thank our worship team just one time? Thank you, guys. So good. So good to see all of you. Welcome. How many of you are studying for finals? Anybody studying for a final right now? Yes. All of the people with black eyes because no sleep. Y'all look great. Turn to someone and say, you look great tonight. Thanks, hey, I want to let you know uh, something that we're doing tonight. Most of you aren't aware of it, and uh, I'm not going to point them out. But tonight is uh, special because we've invited from all of our eight campuses. We've gone to the high school ministries in them, and we've invited the seniors to come check out uh, C12 tonight. So we're calling it first look and so around you there's likely some high school seniors that are just checking out C12 wondering what it is like and what we're all about and so make sure you're friendly to the people around you. You never know who they are. We've been uh, in this series if you're new with us or just kind of joining back with it's been out for a while. I'll update you. We've been in a series called I want to believe but dot 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 and we've been focusing on Really some myths that people believe about God, and oftentimes even, even like really everyone at some point in their life may stumble into this belief about God. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, I want to believe, I want to follow God, I, I really want to go after Him, but I just, I can't get past this one thing. And usually it's, uh, it's something like, like the first week we talked about how God, uh, many people believe that He's on-demand God. So, like, he's a God that, you know, gives me what I want when I want, and so what happens is when he doesn't do that, then we tend to go, well, I don't believe in him because he didn't give me what I wanted when I wanted it, right? And the second week, we talked about how he is a killjoy God. Some people believe that he's a killjoy God, and so they don't follow him, they don't believe in him, because why would I follow a God that's just going to make my life suck, right? Right? And uh, But that's not actually who God is. It's a myth about God, and that's not what he's come to do to make your life suck. I don't know that I, I can say that, uh, but I did, so there we go. And then uh, last week, Tori did a phenomenal job talking to us. Yeah. Tori, you have a fan club. Way to go. And uh, she talked to us about the myth that God is a goosebump God, that he's a God that, uh, you know, if I can't feel him, then he must not be real. And I haven't felt God in so long, so I guess he's not there, and I guess I'll just choose not to follow him. And so we talked about these kind of three myths, and they're really, it's a tragedy because uh, these are not true about God. And if you believe one of these things, then you're not believing in the true God. You're believing a distorted view of who God is. And so it's important that we tackle these and go, you know what, I want to be on the front end. Maybe if you haven't believed them before, I want to be on the front end of knowing how to fight these beliefs or fight these myths Uh, about who God is and I want to know who the true God is. And so tonight we're wrapping up this series and we're talking about what I believe uh, may be the number one question that people are asking or maybe the number one reason why people are choosing to not follow God. And uh, that's really the belief that God is a heartless God. I think many people out there are going, I want to believe in God like this person of Jesus. I like reading about him. He sounds really nice, and I want to follow him. Sounds great, but I just can't get past the fact that God would allow such evil in this world, that God would allow bad things to happen to good people. How am I supposed to serve a God that would let the chaos happen in our world that is happening today? I think it's a great point, and They believe that God is a heartless God, and I'll be honest with you, if God is a heartless God, then I would agree. I don't want to follow him either, but that's not who he is, and so I want to just spend a few minutes tonight talking about uh, really this question. I told you guys last week that we would cover it, and so I want to cover it tonight. The question of uh, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or some form of that question, I think, is what people are asking and what they're uh, really going after when we talk about God being a heartless God. So I'm going to do my best to cover that tonight, and uh, we're going to pray that God will speak. Is that cool? Can I pray for us? Good. Lord, thank you for uh, this group. And, Father, I ask that you would speak powerfully, that you would um, God, that you would speak to each individual heart in this room. And, um, Lord, we didn't come just to play church games. We came to hear from you. And so I ask that you would make... The words on these pages come alive to us tonight. And, uh, Lord, I do pray for each student in the room that is stressed out, anxious, and uh, fearful of the finals that they're walking into. Lord, I ask that you would just give them an extra measure of your nearness and your grace in their life. And, um, Lord, would they lean on you in this time. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. 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 I don't know uh, how many of you. In fact, let me just do a raise of hand because I'm curious to know. How many of you are still on Facebook? Still on Facebook. You got an account. Awesome. How many of you would say that you're active on Facebook? Cool. Just curious. I just want to know because, uh, I, I, you know, my grandmother is on Facebook, so I'm trying to figure out. Are, do, like, people younger than 65 still go on Facebook? I don't know. Um, no, I think Facebook is cool, and it has a lot of uh, good uses, and that kind of thing. But recently, uh, recently I had to do a little X in my life. I had to X out Facebook um, just off my phone. I chose to delete it off my phone. And so I can still, like, get on it, I guess, on my computer if I want to. But I chose to delete it off my phone primarily for this reason. I felt like every time that I got on Facebook and just scrolled through the little, um, what's it called? Feed. Uh, every time I scrolled through there, like, it was Every just one little scroll or every few posts or whatever, share or whatever it was, it was some like horrific story of something happening in the world. Anybody else feel that way? And, like, and and God bless the people that share the horrific stories. And and maybe the Christian pastoral thing of me would be to stop and pray for the horrific stories. But instead I feel like I like, my day is ruined because every single thing on Facebook is some terrible thing that's happened in this world. And it's not even, like, in Georgia or in my town or anything like that. It's, like, on the other side of the world, something happened. You guys know what I'm saying? It feels like I just am more aware of the evil in this world. And you can't, like, you hear about, you know, some little baby dies or something happens over here. Or some I uh, read something about, like, a homeless man uh, s- stabbed a dude, and he had his daughter in, the, in his lap, and it was like, I just, I read it the other day, and I thought, I'm done, I'm done, like, I can't do this anymore, I told my wife, I said, I'm deleting this off my phone, because it literally ruins my day, I gotta get this stuff out, and maybe I should, I should keep it on my phone so I can pray for these people, but I just, I could, can't do it, I can't be so aware, I don't know if this is just, uh, like, I don't know if there's increased evil in today's world, or if we're just now more aware of it, Because We have access to knowing what is happening in the world, but it seems like every day there's a news story or something of something terrible, horrific that is happening in this world. You guys agree? You know what I'm saying? It just seems like more and more evil is happening. And I think because of that, it's causing a lot of us to ask the question, God, where, like, where are you in this? And why are you allowing these things to happen? God, do you even like really care that this stuff is happening? It seems like it's happening every single day. And some of you would say, listen, it's not even that I'm reading about it. Like it's happening in my own life. Like maybe you are the recipient of evil or maybe you're walking through something right now and you're asking the question, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? So sometimes it's not even that I'm reading about it. Sometimes it's no, it's very near to me. In fact, um, I don't know if you know this, but statistics now say that every three out of five young ladies, girls, are abused before the age of 18. Do you know that? The statistic for guys is every one out of five, and they actually believe that that's not an accurate, that's what they know, but because there's this, like, stigma of dudes that we can't tell anybody that it's happened, uh, that no one, like, very little guys actually say something to anyone, so they actually believe it's more than one out of five. So if you take kind of the median, that's two out of five people in this room have walked through that kind of pain. Two out of five people. Someone on your row has probably walked through abuse in some sort of way and have had to figure out how to cope with that and have likely asked the question, God, do you even care that this is what I've walked through? Do you even care that this is what I'm going through? Do you, why did you let this happen? And maybe that's not your story, or maybe you you don't know anybody that's walked through that, but you probably have something as well. You probably have something, and you've asked the question. And if you haven't, I believe that there will come a day where you will at least ask the question. So I want to tonight uh, attempt to give you just kind of a view of the question and then maybe even an answer, because um, more than just helping you, I want to help you so that you know how to answer the question because I guarantee you, you will encounter someone that will ask you that. And so I want you to, uh, number one, just a couple of things. Number one, I want you to listen tonight with uh, consumer ears and a leader's ear. Because consumer ear says, this is for me. I need to digest this. I need to get this in me. But a leader's ear also says, this is for me so that I can share with someone else. And I believe that's like God to give you something tonight that wasn't just for you, but it's so you could share it with someone else. And then the second thing I just want to kind of point out about this topic, that this is uh, very difficult to address to a large group because each one of you is processing this question through your filter of pain. Through so whatever you've walked through, some of it, like what Griffin was saying up here, some of our stories are different. Some of you have walked through tougher things. And so each person... Will process this question and the answer through a different filter and so um, we're going to go after it together, but I hope you 'll give us a little bit of grace and I hope that if you don't walk out of here with an answer, I hope that you will seek me or someone else that you believe can help you process through this stuff and then um, like, or lastly I just want to say it's very complex and it has a lot of layers this conversation is very complex and it has a lot of layers and so um, This conversation tonight is likely not something that you're going to hear an answer to and go, oh, okay, cool, good. No, this is probably something that you're going to have to wrestle with for a little bit and um, maybe even multiple times in your life. So I just want to give you a few thoughts. I want to give you a perspective. I want to give you some tools so that you can uh, think through it properly. Are we good? Can we do that together? So I don't know if you know this, uh, but the Bible is full of people who have similar feelings or have processed through the question, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? The Bible is full of them. I think about uh, one in particular. I think about David, story of David. Check this out. David is actually said in the Old Testament that David is, uh, God told him he's a man after God's own heart. He said, you're a man after my heart own heart. Can you imagine like the spiritual, what a spiritual giant. He's called a man after God's own heart. It's amazing, right? But even David, if you read his story, if you read about him, you read the Psalms that he writes, even he said things like, God, where are you? God, my enemies are attacking me. Do you care? God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this to happen? Even David processed through this and he was a man after God's own heart is what it says. I also think about The number of Christians or disciples in the Old Testament who, after Jesus uh, rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven, and their job was to tell the story of Jesus, how many disciples, how many followers of Jesus ended up costing them their life? Think about that for a second. How many Christians it has cost them their life to be a Christian? That's a different level than you and I will probably ever have to deal with. And these people that are standing up for Jesus... And it costs them their life. Why would God allow that to happen? So I just want you to know that there are people all throughout the Bible that have wrestled through this as well. So why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does He allow? Evil in this world. So, I want to first give uh, two observations just about the question in general. And so, we left uh, blanks on the notes, and so you're going to have a lot of things I'll give you tonight, and it won't be on the screen. So, I'm hoping you'll just go with it and just write it down because you may need this for someone else. But, two observations that I want to make just first about the question itself. Are you ready? The first one is this The question itself proves a belief in God. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? The question itself proves a belief in God. And the reason why this is important for you to know is because many people will use this question as a defense or as an argument toward why there is no God. If there was a God, there wouldn't be so much evil in this world. Or they use it to attack God. Like what kind of God is that that these kinds of things would happen? But I want you to know the question itself actually proves a belief in God. And here's how. If there is evil, if we're going to acknowledge that there is evil in the world, then we also have to acknowledge that there's good. There is evil and there is good. And if there is good, then we acknowledge that there is a moral law. We acknowledge that there is such thing as good and bad, good and evil. We acknowledge that there is a moral law by which we evaluate what is good. And if there is a moral law, then there must be a moral lawgiver. Moral law doesn't just appear. There must be a moral lawgiver. And a mor- you need to know this, a moral framework does not even exist in an atheistic view. Because who decides what's good and evil? Who sets the standard for what's good and bad? Each person, each individual person decides what is good and what is bad. There is no moral law, so you get to decide. In my view, a dad abusing their kid is evil, but to a dad that abuses his kid, maybe it's not. So we're just going to go, well, to him it's okay? Are we just going to let each person decide for themselves what is good and what is evil? Let me just uh, make a little side note here. The more that society removes God and removes Scripture kind of out of the picture, the more chaos there is going to be because there is not a moral law. And the more that we just leave it up to each individual person to decide what is good and what is evil. So we just say you decide for yourself, and you decide for yourself. And then government says, well, we'll decide for everyone, but then they can't agree either because they have different views. And then what we get is absolutely complete chaos because there is no moral law and everyone just decides for themselves what is good and what is evil. So if you're going to admit that there is good and evil, you have to admit that there is a moral law creator who created it. The second thing... I just want to make an observation about the question itself is this. The question assumes that God is fair. The question assumes that God is a fair God. As a child, you're, you're taught to be fair. We're teaching my 18-month-old son right now to be fair and what that looks like and all these little things that you're taught as a kid. But uh, to transfer that into your relationship with God is actually not a good thing. Because God is not a fair God. In fact, the gospel is actually the opposite of fair. Because this is what the gospel says. It says that you don't get what you deserve. That you were actually deserving of death. Because the scripture says the wages of sin is death. So what we are all deserving of is that we pay the price for our sin. The gospel is that Jesus did not let us do that, but he paid it for us. So it's completely not fair. It's not fair. We played, two weeks ago, we played the game Never Have I Ever in church. Come on, first time we played Never Have I Ever in church. I was pretty proud of that. And we played and we acknowledged that every single one of us, to some extent, is a liar, a thief, and an adulterer. We all admitted that we are sinners. And the point was, you can never realize your need for a Savior until you realize that you're a sinner. And so if we're all going to admit and realize that we're a sinner, then we have to understand that it's actually a great thing that the gospel is not fair. Because if it was fair, then you would have to pay, and I would have to pay. But it's not fair. The gospel is that you get unwarranted, amazing grace that you did not deserve. That's the message of the gospel. So I'm telling you tonight, you actually don't want God to be a fair God. If he was fair, we would all be damned. So you actually don't want that. So be careful that you're not wanting or living by uh, a belief that is a little bit more like karma, where we all get what we deserve and one day it's going to come around to you and that kind of thing. The gospel is actually radically different than that. It's not fair at all. So to answer the question, are you you guys still tracking with me? Are we good? Come on, just turn to someone and smile at them. Just give them a smile. (laughs) You got to show the teeth. You got to show teeth for it to be counted as a smile. So let me, um, I want to give you kind of an answer To the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I think the two things I just gave you are just kind of tearing down the question in itself. But I want to give you uh, some sort of an answer to the question, and uh, maybe you can take it with you and share it with some other people as well. So the answer really is in two parts. The first part is this. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Because God gave us a free will. Because God gave us... A free will, And I really believe that there's a couple points that could be made under that, but at the top of it is God gave us a free will. I want to read to you uh, some scripture first out of Genesis chapter 2 and then out of Genesis chapter 3. If you've been around church for a little while, you've probably read the story of creation. But I just want to highlight a few verses as we talk about this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says this, the story of creation the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then I want to skip down to chapter 3, and let's read uh, verses 1 through 6. It says this, now the serpent, who is the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Then he says to him, he's such a punk, he says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Verse five, for God knows that when you eat from it, Your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Fellas, there's something in there. I'm not going to say it. You get from it what you want. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And this was the entrance of sin into the world. This was the beginning of a broken, fallen world that you and I live in. I told you guys, uh, recently, we, my wife and I, we've had like a big kind of moment in our family. About six months ago, we bought a new house, or really bought our like, first house. We've been doing the apartment thing for many, many years and uh, it sucked. And so we <laughs> bought our first house, which is a huge thing for us, an answer to prayer. And uh, if, if you've bought a house or if you're planning to one day, just so you know, it's really complicated. It it's, takes all these different steps. And you sign your life away. You feel like it's, it's just super complex. And so we did this. And uh, we decided, like we had options, but we decided that we wanted to buy a, uh, a new house like a brand new, no one's lived in it, just built. We got to decide like some of the things that, you know, the color of the carpet and some cool things. We got to decide all that. So we decided that way. And part of the reason was because we have friends that moved into older homes and uh, they're dealing with like some things that are falling apart. And uh, we had a friend of ours a couple months ago, their air condition broke and it ended up costing him like $6,000 to replace an air condition unit. Now, imagine you just going through your life, just, you know, doing your thing, and then all of a sudden, air conditioning goes out, and you got to fork out $6,000. Maybe some of you got stacks on stacks, but I don't, so that would have been brutal, and so my wife and I were like, okay, well, let's just make an investment. Let's buy a new house, and hopefully for, like, years to come, we won't have anything break, and nothing will go wrong, and it'll just be all peachy, and so did I just say peachy? gosh. So we did, and uh, I'm here to tell you, six months into our brand new house, just built, brand new air-conditioned unit, six months in, I have had to make four service calls to the air conditioning company to come fix my air condition because I've walked upstairs, and it has been hot. Now, fortunately, it hasn't been like 100 degrees outside. It's been winter, but it's been hot. Guys. You did not write a check for the house like I did, so you don't feel the weight quite like I do. But uh, four times my air condition has gone out on a brand new home. So what's even more frustrating is I emailed the warranty guy because they, you have a one-year warranty. And so if something breaks down, then they'll cover it for a year. So I emailed the warranty guy. I said, hey, air condition has gone out again. Come and fix it. And uh, so like the fourth time it happened, I emailed him. I said, hey, man. Should I be concerned that uh, I'm five months into this house and you guys have come out four times already? And this is what he said. God bless the man. Love him. Great guy. Pete is his name. Great guy. (laughs) This is what Pete told me. He said, um, you should not be concerned. There's not a problem because you have six months left on your warranty, which gives us plenty of time to work out all the kinks. (laughs) So I said, well, that is great, Pete. But uh, the problem is the unit shouldn't be broken in the first place. Like, there shouldn't be anything wrong. I'm glad we have six months to work this thing out because apparently y'all's product is awful. But um, the problem is that there's a problem in the very beginning, and there shouldn't be. Like, this thing is broken, and it shouldn't be broken, right? Here we go, segue time. (laughs) The problem is you and I live in a world that is broken, and it shouldn't be broken. God did not design a world to be broken like it is broken, but humanity, Adam and Eve, brought in sin and chose their own way to go against God, and now it is broken. So the problem is that there's a problem. That's the problem is there's a problem now. Because sin is in the world. And we ushered it in. And because Adam and Eve made a decision, all of humanity is living in the repercussions. Imagine that God creates a perfect paradise. We were created just to live in the kindness of him and in his goodness and then they made a decision and ushered in sin and ushered in brokenness and it brought in disease and it brought in evil. And now we're all living in it. And people say, well, why did a good, loving God even make it an option? Why did he give them the option to choose the tree? Why was that even an option? Great question, so let me give you an answer to it. There's four possibilities of how God could have created the world. The first is this. He could have not created it. <laughs> he could have said, nah, not going to do that. I'm good up here. I'll just do my thing. Could have not created the world. Could have not created humanity. That was an option. Second possibility, God could have created a world without good or evil. Could have created a world without good or evil. and We just all live in his kindness and his goodness and in paradise and, you know, If you read Genesis and the story, all the animals get along. It's just this oasis and beautiful, probably a lot like the Bahamas, I'm guessing. (laughs) He could have created a world without good or evil. God could have created a world with just good. That seems like the best option, just create just good and no evil, right? The last possibility is God could have created a world with good and evil, And given you the choice to choose which one. All three of those, except for the last one, is a world without love. Listen to me. All of those, except for the last one, is a world without love. And God wanted to create a world where love existed. The supreme ethic is love in all of humanity. You think about the scripture, what's the number one command? That Jesus gives us to love others to love love the Lord our God and to love others and just think about outside of Christianity what is it that we have for humanity that is supreme above all other else and it's love the ability to value someone else to protect someone else all that love is it's the supreme ethic but listen to me true love only exists when it is a choice. It only exists when it is a choice, and you can never have love without intrinsically weaving into it free will. It has to be a choice, and there has to be another option to not love, or there has to be bad. There has to be evil. Think about it this way. When I married my wife and I said I do to my wife, not only did I say I do, I also said I don't to a lot of others. I didn't actually say that. That would be an awkward ceremony. But when I said I do to my wife, what I'm also saying is I do to you and I don't to everyone else out there. And when my wife tells me she loves me, what is so valuable about that, what is amazing about that, is that she has the choice not to. So think about this. If my wife was hardwired or programmed to just automatically, like a computer, just love me, that's what she does, well, that's not special. That's not cool at all. Like, what makes the fact that my wife loves me so amazing is that she has other options. She doesn't have to. And God created you so that you have free will and you have the ability to choose whether you will love Him or not love Him. You have the ability to choose whether you will go good or evil. We all have that ability. Because God wanted love to exist. And God didn't hardwire you to love him. You had to choose it. And God knew if love was ever going to exist, it would have to be chosen. And that is why he gave us free will. And if you're asking God to step in and stop all the bad things from happening in this world, what you're asking him to do is to take away free will. You're asking him to take that away. And I don't believe that's the world you want to live in. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't step in and that he doesn't intervene and that he doesn't stop things from happening. But it's just you may not know what he stops. You may not know how he intervenes. You ever had something in your life this sometimes will make your mind explode, but you ever thought about, man, what if I was just a little bit off? What if I would have decided to go to that friend's house, and what if that was me in that accident? Or what if what if it was just a little bit? I remember one time uh, I played baseball growing up, and I was pitching, and, and a ball came back to me, hit me square right under the eye. And the doctor told me if it would have been one inch higher than what it was, I'd possibly lost sight in my eye. And I thought, what if? Like, did God did God like cause that not to happen? I don't know. When I was uh, 19 years old, uh, me and a couple of my buddies decided to take a beach trip. Anybody got beach plans this summer? Come on. I would appreciate an invite, so just let me know. Uh, We decided to take a beach trip down to Hilton Head and, um, or is it down or across or geography, um, to Hilton Head. And so Uh, That morning, I was uh, working early. I worked out as a uh, golf caddy at Bears Best Golf Course, back when they had caddies. and So I was a golf caddy, and we had an early tee time that morning, so I was up super early out there. And uh, so right after work, I got in my car, and I was driving to meet them in Hilton Head. And so, of course, I'm driving at, like, the worst time to drive which is not in the morning when you just woke up. It's not at night when you've had a long day. It's actually like 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's the worst time to drive. Can anyone say amen to that, or am I just all alone? Okay, worst time to drive. So I'm super tired, so I'm doing the, like, wise thing, and I've got sunflower seeds. I've got drinks. I've got not, like, that kind of drink. i have just, you know, Gatorades and stuff. I've got sunflower seeds. I'm, like, like, blaring my music. I'm driving with the windows down. And I was down. I was on... Um, I-16, you guys know what that is? Like if you were going to Statesboro or Savannah or something like that. The worst road in the world, just straight as an arrow. So I was on that around the Dublin exit, and my eyes are shutting. I know I'm getting tired. I'm trying to prevent it. And I fought it, fought it, fought it. And the next thing you know, I wake up, or, you know, I'm just driving, and my eyes come up, and they came, my eyes opened, because I was driving in the grass on the side of I-16, going like 75 miles an hour. And so, of course, I'm like doing like this. And so I correct my car, get it into the road, but something happened with the wheels, and so I overcorrected, and then I had to overcorrect this way going, you know, just a ridiculous speed, and ended up crossing both lanes of traffic, flying across this lane because I was in the left lane, and then hit a guardrail on the, all the way on the right side of the road. And so my car was totaled. Fortunately, I, I got out of the car and, and was – obviously shaking up a little bit. And someone came up to me and they said, man, I just barely missed you. I was right behind you and your car, swerved across the road, and I just barely missed you. And I thought, I don't, did God just, like, save me? Did, was that, I don't know if he did or not, honestly. I don't know if it was him. I don't know what it was. But here's what I know, sometimes he doesn't. And I can tell you stories of people in my life that I've prayed for and God hasn't intervened. I can tell you right now, my wife's mother has been battling ovarian cancer for about five years and we've been praying for her. Still has it, still fighting it, not looking good. I don't know why God hasn't stepped in. I don't know why God hasn't intervened. And so I wanted to tell you, if you're asking the question, Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? First of all, we live in a broken world, a sinful world where that's the life that we have, where things happen. And we ushered that in. That was not God. But I wanted to to also leave you with this, that God never promised us a pain-free life. And I know that doesn't help you if you have pain right now. I know that doesn't help you if you've walked through something hard. But I just, I want to say that because I think there's a lot of people that sign up to follow God or they sign up for Christianity. Not really sign up, you know what I mean. They get into this Christianity thing, thinking that if I do this, then God will somehow like protect me from all the bad things. And I want you to know that that's not true. And in fact, scripture says in John chapter 16, it says, In this world, you will have trouble. Great. That's what I've signed up for. <laughs> but then it says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Being a Christian is not a hall pass away from pain. It's a belief that in my pain, he's going to walk with me. And in the end, I win. In the end, I win. I love the story that uh, one of our campus pastors shared this past Sunday, uh, through the message, told a story about his grandmother who fought cancer as well and eventually died. And uh, he asked the question, he said, did God heal my grandmother? And he said, so all of us, to family, to friends, to everyone that knew her, no. But actually he did. Actually she's in heaven, completely healed of all pain, completely healed of all sorrow, completely healed of all, like every battle, everything that she had fought, completely gone. Actually, God healed her. He just healed her in a different way than we would have wanted to. And I don't know about you, but I find comfort in that. That eternity with God is actually his plan to remove all pain and sorrow. That he didn't just leave it out there to say, you gotta walk through this, good luck. But he said, no, 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 I won. I win. In the end, It's all gone. And so I want to close um, by speaking to a specific group of people in here tonight. Jared, you can come up. Um, Because I think some of you, I don't know if the free will stuff or if the kind of tearing down the question, I don't know if that's helpful. I hope it is. But some of you are asking the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? because it's you. And the question really is, why has God allowed this to happen to me? And just to be honest with you, that's hard. And I've talked with some of you. And you're filtering this question through through a lens of pain that no one else around you may even know about. And so... I can't solve your pain tonight, but I want to bring you some encouragement, and I want to just leave you encouraged here. I want to read you a verse out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. It says, this: it says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come. So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, the genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer in griefs, grief in all kinds of trials. I just wanted to encourage you that there's purpose in your pain. I know you're probably saying, well, that's easy for you to say, Austin, because you're not walking through my pain. You're right. But I've had to walk through mine as well. I don't know what yours is, but I wanted you to know that there's purpose in it. These trials, these things that you don't understand, these difficult seasons that you're walking through, they will eventually show that your faith is genuine if you'll persist through them. God has taken your roots even deeper right now. There's never a strong tree without strong roots. And possibly what God is doing is he's strengthening your roots because of this trial, this thing that you're walking through. He's strengthening you. And though you may walk through it, through a time, there's purpose in your pain. God didn't cause it, but he can use it. God doesn't cause the pain every single time, but he can use the pain every single time. And when you run toward him, your spiritual roots grow deeper and deeper and deeper. He has a purpose in your pain. You don't always sense it immediately. You won't always know right away what the purpose is, but he has a purpose in it. There's a story, uh, a guy named Paul in the Bible. Uh, He's kind of super Christian, Paul is. He's the guy that launched more churches than anyone—he's, you know—it's like Billy Graham, Paul, Jesus. Um, that was a joke. It wasn't funny. <laughs> but Paul, uh, when you read about Paul in this one portion of Scripture, he says um, he says that there was a thorn that tormented him. We don't know what the thorn is. It's a figurative, but like it's a figure. Uh, We don't know what it was. We don't know if it was sin. We don't know if it was something he was battling. We don't know if it was a physical ailment. We don't know what this thorn was, but we do know that it caused him immense pain, caused him great difficulty in his life, great destruction. And he pleads with God three times to take away this thorn. Three different times, he pleads with God to take away the thorn in his life. Now you would think if God was gonna rescue any Christian from a thorn Paul would be the guy like I said Billy Graham Paul Jesus right Paul would be the guy this guy was super Christian this was the guy being persecuted for his faith this was the guy doing like launching churches all over the place this was I mean this was Paul so surely surely Paul surely God would remove the thorn from Paul right this is what he says to Paul he says God heal me heal me take away this thorn In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Hey, Paul, I know you want me to take this, but my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. See, I believe that some of us, if we never had to be weak, we would never understand his power. If we were never weak, we would just rely on our own power. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. This is what I need, God. I need you to take this from me. God says, No, this is not what you need. What you need is me. I am sufficient. My presence is sufficient. I'm going with you. I am enough for you. You don't need your thorn removed. You need me. You need me. When you've been there and you've experienced his presence, when he's carried you even through the roughest times, when you've understood, when you've learned that you cannot carry it on your own, when he lifted you through your doubts, when he sustains you, when you're aching in pain, when he comforts you, when you didn't want to get up another day, when he gives you the hope to move forward, when you didn't know if you could go on, you'll understand what it means. His grace is sufficient for you. This is not something that I can just teach you. I believe this is something that you have to experience. But some of you are walking through a season right now. And I would just ask you, would you be bold enough to just say, Lord, I'm going to cling to you in this. I don't have answers for it. I don't know why this is happening. But I'm going to cling to you and I'm going to trust you in this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is what Paul ends with. And he says this, therefore... I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. (laughs) Boast about my weaknesses? Come on, Paul. He says, I'll boast about them so that his power will rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, his strength is made perfect in me. You will not know God's strength unless you know your own weakness. Embrace your weakness, embrace it. That's only how you'll experience his strength. He has purpose in your pain, he's always present in your pain. I can't remove it tonight. But I want to encourage you. There's a purpose in it. Some of you, you'll embrace this. You may say, I delight in my physical ailment. I delight in my sickness because it's drawn me closer to him. I delight in this lonely season because I've experienced Emmanuel, God with us. I delight in my job search because God is my true provider. I delight in this difficult season because God is breaking me of self-sufficiency and training me to depend on him. Would you be so bold to say, I delight in my weakness? I delight in it. So I want to pray for you tonight and um, just give you an opportunity to respond. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I understand this is, um, for some people, this is very near and a lot more difficult than um, than just hearing a message about it. But God, I know that um, ultimately, you are all powerful. And ultimately, God, you want to be near to those who are brokenhearted. So, Lord, I ask that that you would do just that, that you would be near, that you would comfort those that are walking through difficulties, that have had to face trials and things that they didn't ask for, face things that if they could go back, they would never do it again, things that they would never wish on anyone. God, you have a purpose in it. I know that. And so, Lord, I ask that you would Give them courage to lean into you tonight. Give them courage to run to you, to strengthen their roots rather than to run away. And, Lord, make us a group, make us a people who delight in weaknesses because it shows you off even more. We love you in Jesus' name.